All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you once again from the Borough of Queens. It is the 25th day of October 2022. Before I talk more about today's show, I'd like to remind you that I do publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. It uh, really focuses mostly on junior junior gold and silver exploration companies, but we're also looking at some biotechs uh, and a few other uh, oil and gas stories as well. Um, and uh, my good friend Chen Lin will be with us to talk about a couple of the biotechs that I'm following it, uh, that he likes a lot. Uh, those, that might, those of you who might be interested in signing up for my letter, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, and uh, Chen Lin, uh, who is with us, uh, we like to mention his newsletter as well, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can go to chenpicks.com, that's C-H-E-N-P-I-C-K-S.com. I do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to invite you to keep your questions and comments. Send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically possible. Uh, today, uh, our sponsors are Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, Laurel Resources, Raina Gold Mining, Lion One Metals, and Timberline Resources. I've titled today's show, Are Rising Rates Setting a Debt Avalanche in Motion? Bob Moriarty, Michael Oliver, and Chen Lin, as I noted, will be uh, the guests for today. Virtually every time the Fed has started raising rates, they have continued to raise them until something breaks. While a portion of the air is typically left out of these credit bubbles during a Fed tightening process, our central bank never completely cleans out the excessive debt that built up during the prior or during the credit cycle that just ended. Instead, at the end of each cycle, the total amount of debt to GDP remains dramatically higher than in the prior cycle, at the end of the prior cycle. But this current cycle may well be the cycle that destroys this global fiat monetary experiment that was really launched in 1971 when President Nixon removed gold from the international monetary system. And for the first time in history, no country in the world had a gold-backed system, a gold-backed currency. There are some folks like Jim Rickards who believes when this final bubble bursts, it will require an end of the dollar system and that we will inherit a one-world currency system run by the IMF that, uh, with the new currency being the SDR. And Jim Rickards is scheduled to be with us in a few weeks from now, and I expect to ask him more about that when we have him uh, in the, towards the end of November. 
right now in 2022, it looks like Jim Rickards may have been right um, with interest rates rising at a faster rate by far than during the Volcker Fed in 1980. The Fed and most other central banks in NATO land are technically bankrupt because those bonds that they bought at zero, very, very low interest rates are now with higher interest rates, deeply negative. And if you think about it, the uh, TLT, which is the long dated U.S. Treasuries, lost 37 percent of their value this year. Well, to the extent that uh, a lot of these central banks have, you know, trillions of dollars of, of uh, these low interest rate uh, vehicles that they purchased, uh, bonds that they purchased, and now they are deeply negative. So the net worth of most of these central banks are now are now negative. Uh, if the Fed and other central banks continue restrictive monetary policies, it seems almost 100 percent, in my view, that we will have a debt avalanche that hammers the final nail in the coffin of this global fiat monetary experiment that began in 1971. On the other hand, if central bankers follow the path of the Bank of Japan, which is printing however trillions of yen that are required uh, to buy Japanese bonds to keep their price elevated, then it seems equally likely that currencies like the Japanese yen will hyperinflate themselves into the dustbin of history, at which time there will be no choice but to devise a new monetary system. Well, how all this will uh, will end up, um, well, we're going to speak to Bob Moriarty in the second half of today's show to get his thoughts on this potential debt avalanche or uh, perhaps heading in the opposite direction uh, in a hyperinflationary environment. We hope and pray that neither of those things come true, but uh, we must be on the lookout for the possibility, I think. There's enough reason to believe those are possible outcomes. Michael Oliver, uh, who believes that markets are facing the most serious downturn, uh, most serious threat, I should say, since the Great Depression, uh, he'll be with us in uh, right after our first commercial break uh, to give us his latest view on interest rates and a host of other markets. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Chen Lin is with me to share his thoughts on the current markets and where he thinks investors might be able to make some money uh, in these tumultuous markets. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Good to have you with me, although uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is not necessarily a happy topic for me or for you. Uh, Triceta Inc., you've talked about it on this show in the past. I've written about it. I own the shares myself, have it in my newsletter. It was supposed to be developing a drug that would significantly delay chronic kidney disease. Uh, but yesterday, when the phase three trial results came out, they were, I guess, almost, a, if not a complete failure, almost a com- complete failure. What, do you, what can you tell us about Tresita? Have you, have you learned anything since their announcement yesterday? Yeah, it's, I feel like a strike by lightning. <laughs> I was uh, so confident in this trial. Not only me, you know, you look at the American Kidney Foundation, they think this is the most promising drug in the past decade, and uh, all the other hedge funds, including uh, uh, Steve Cohen and many other VR, they were buying mm-hmm. actively uh, in the open market, actually at a much higher price than we bought, I, I would say. Uh, we all believe in this. And somehow this trial was just completely failure. Uh, there's a uh, very hard to, to find reason for this. Uh, but one possibility you can say the drug doesn't work, which is, you know, we know it should have impact, right? Because take out the asset in your gut. Mm-hmm. So another 
most possible explanation could be, you know, it's um, six-year trial versus one-year trial. Six-year, those people' life expectancy is five to ten years, so they could be extra careful. They may not eat meat. They may put up, eat a lot of alkali. So those effects may be similar to what they have, Tricidus drug, because uh-huh, it also uh-huh. take off the uh, assay. So that's uh-huh. what they found was the assay level of those patients actually improve on <laughs> the placebo. It's not supposed to improve in uh-huh. all the trial, right? I mean, you think about one drug, take off the acid, that supposedly it should better than regular, which is, um, which is true in the one year, I think the six, five year, six year trial, people maybe also East Europe, maybe medical uh, you know, service may not be that good. People are extra careful. They just don't want to die. I mean, it's... Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's possible. So it could be the trial design issue. It could be the trial, this drug that completely doesn't work, which, you know, we don't believe. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's watered on the bridge. I already came up before market opened yesterday. I already tell my subscriber just to sell it. Uh, I mean, last week I urged my subscriber to put it zero cost, right? So you don't put any, put any risk because the stock has already tripled, quadrupled since we purchased. We bought before Steve Cohen. So, uh, so just put a zero cost, and then if you sell it, you still have a little bit gain. It's a tiny little gain in the one year in a very bad market, but I'm not proud of it. I was hoping for much more. I'm very, very disappointed for the trial, and also very, very disappointed for those uh, kidney uh, people with kidney disease. So, but that, that you know, that's, we just walk away. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that, what can I say? Anything can happen in the trial. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's a chance that they'll look at, the, uh, look at this and go back and try it again? possible they have to find another sponsor this trial yeah. lasts six years as i said in my newsletter if they do another trial they find another sponsor they find out what's the problem with this trial they do another. we're talking about another year, 10 years from now right i mean eight oh. to ten years i mean my, oh. <laughs> i will lose all my hair by that yeah. uh, <laughs> i don't have that time to wait okay so that's i tell my sister just get out uh, it's, uh, it's failure it's failure i just uh, you know swallow my pride and just move on yeah, I mean, it was, the, it was the one that you felt, not only you, but a lot of other really well-educated people in this field believed it was a, almost a sure thing. And it just came as a tremendous shock uh, when we saw the results. And then there's another one, Chen, that, um, that you have all along thought was a long shot, and that's Snaptogenics. It, is, uh, it has only 6.8 million shares outstanding. Uh, selling at $6.82 this morning, at least when I looked at it, SNPX. Now, this is a company that has is designing a drug that is made to help not only slow down Alzheimer's, but actually uh, there's some signs that it reverses uh, the, you know, the Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and as you pointed out, I mean, this is a very small market cap. It's got a very small market cap. And if, a, you know, for a huge market, Alzheimer's, if something can be devised to reverse that, it would be absolutely huge. So, but you're always all along have felt that this would be a low probability success compared to Tresita, which you thought was going to be almost a sure thing in the later days anyway. Um, but what can you tell us about synaptogenics? And maybe, who knows, maybe this long shot will be the one that works. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, I have a small position, and I, I, I remain cautious because, uh, you know, almost, uh, uh, you know, one out of, um, you know, 100 Alzheimer's trial was successful, right? They're, they're very, and then this will be the first, ever that actually reverse Alzheimer's. I hope they succeed. I mean, they got the funding from NIH, so they have, mm-hmm. 
I think they have a shot, but market didn't recognize market. The stock has been flat, uh, and uh, we I think we just need to be watching very closely. They're going to have a presentation tomorrow. I invite uh, investors to take a look, uh, see what they have. And then they report. They should report data in the next two months. So, oh. if the data is positive, uh, for that sake, uh, maybe there's maybe opportunity in the first few hours. I certainly will keep my subscribers uh, alert. Right. So uh, you want to stay with the winner. You don't want to, you know, just in in, in those tech, biotechnology. You want to stay with it. If they if it's a winner, I think there are opportunities. The company may need to raise money. They. And uh, I talk, I met the management, you know, I talk to them, I know them very well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so there will be advantage if they are successful. But at first, they have to uh, release uh, good data first. That's a placebo-controlled phase two trial. That's very, very important. Yeah. Next, uh, next two, uh, you say the next two weeks? Next two months, I two think months. you said. Two months. They, they, two they're, months. They said supposed to report in Q4. That's the uh-huh. they will have a presentation tomorrow, and we'll take a look, see what's the update, when the, the, the data, if they have any update on the timeline uh, mm-hmm. of this, uh, this data release. All right. So. All right. Only, only 6.8 million shares. So if this thing comes through in a big way, it could really move the stock. And, of course, it's oh, yeah. Chen, yeah, chenpix.com, chenpix.com to go to, to uh, keep up with, with this story from Chen. He really does a great job for his subscribers. Well, Chen, with just a couple of minutes left here, another of your favorites and mine is Amorous Inc. And for listeners who may not be familiar with Amorous, it's a synthetic chemistry company, really the leader in this field. Uh, that replicates molecules that are found in nature, and then they're able to manu- you know, ma- manufacture massive amounts of these molecules uh, can be have, you know, all kinds of applications. And this is a company that has revenues. Uh, it's uh, tell us what do you know about what's the latest on uh, on Amaris? Right, they are getting close to break even. Uh, Q4 could be their first quarter break even quarter, or slightly negative, and the next year could be the first uh, profitable year. You know that the company like Amazon, like Google, like as soon as they become profitable, they're in complete different category. The founder of this company, also the founder of Amazon and Google, Zhang Dou, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, uh, so there's some link with this, uh, which it's the key is cash flow positive, right? The ones that are making money. And they should have uh, two major catalysts coming in the next uh, few months. One is that they're supposed to sell their molecule for 400 million. The market cap right now is 800 million. Think about it. Uh-huh. Sell to molecule 400 million. That's the company said they will plan to get it down in Q4 as well. So it's in the next two and a half months. And then we know that Biden administrations and they have a serious concern of uh, you know Chinese ingredient, right? So mm-hmm. all these API or vitamin, anything with with drug manufacture, all mostly made in China. So this actually is to bring the biology manufacturer back to the United States. So mm-hmm. actually, that's for the biosecurity. is very, very important. So mm-hmm. they request that in the White House meeting, $1 billion from the government. Okay, so if government gave them in the next few months, $1 billion. Think about it. They got $1 billion from the government, $400 million from selling of molecules. The stock can the stock be $800 million. I serious doubt. I think it will probably will be double digits. So that's another stuff I'm very very bullish on. So uh, I, I and you know I own a lot of shares and uh, I've been accumulating some co cool options for the next few months because the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you've uh, really reduced your cost basis 
uh, by you know buying calls um, or sometimes selling calls and and uh, you know as you just did with Triceta. Um, anyway, Chen, this is very exciting, and and I should mention that Nasdaq uh, it, it trades on Nasdaq Amaris. It's A M R S. Two dollars and fifty cents is where it was trading earlier today when I last checked it. So uh, that also has, I think, tremendous upside potential. And you've done extremely well with a number of the uh, of these biotechs, Chen. So we're really thankful that you could spend a few minutes to uh, pass along your knowledge about some of these stories to my listeners. Thank you so much for being with us again. And yeah, thank you. Uh, I just re- want to add one one yeah. more thing: is that gold uh-huh. and silver seems to form a battle, but b- bottom right now, silver is outperforming gold. It's just yeah. exactly what I'm expecting. So I think people should really take a close look at silver. Well, I think that's that's well put, and I know Michael Oliver is going to be with us right after the break. Michael feels the same way. In fact, he's been looking at silver outperforming gold as a uh, as an indicator that we're on to the next bull market. Boy, I'll tell you, it's been uh, a long time since we've seen nice, strong gold bull market, uh, gold and silver, and the share markets. I'll tell you, it's been. Uh, I can't wait. I hope you're right, Chen. Thanks again for being with us, and we'll do it again sometime soon. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, so we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Michael Oliver will be with me. Um, talk about, um, well, the, the, the most important markets uh, that Michael usually hits on, and I think he might have time to talk about some of the markets that he doesn't talk about all that often. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really happy to have Michael Oliver with me once again. It's uh, Momentum and Structural Analysis is his newsletter. Uh, it's one of those letters that I wouldn't, uh, couldn't afford not to have, and I'm so uh, thankful for Michael and the work he does. Go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, to keep up with his latest objective views on the markets, because I think Michael really does let the markets tell him what's going on rather than him telling the markets what's going on or 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 telling his subscribers what's going on when he has no clue michael really lets the markets tell him what's happening and i've seen it time and time again when he maybe would like to see a different direction of things but he calls them as he sees them and for that we're very thankful thanks for joining me again michael hi jay good to be back 
Always good to have you. Um, on October 23, you sent out a chart of TLT to your subscribers showing that uh, this particular ETF that uh, contains, I guess, 20 to 30-year U.S. Treasuries, that it had fallen back to levels not seen since, uh, two, two, since the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Do you see this as kind of a floor uh, for for the Treasury markets, uh, at, the mo- at least for now? Well, you- we had a downside target on T-bonds and TLT, which is the popular ETF of long-term mm-hmm. government debt. Uh, and they got to the target zone a week or so ago and pierced through it. And we warned people, don't, don't assume that our target zone is going to hold because these are effectively crashing markets. They're not arm wrestling downtrends. They're, they're uh-huh. markets that are out of control, basically. And even uh, our Secretary of Treasury Yellen a couple of weeks ago said she was very concerned about illiquidity. That's uh-huh. one of the worst words you can use. One thing about going down, it's another about being illiquid. And uh-huh. Government bonds become illiquid in British and the, and the uh, Japanese. Illiquidity is a word that is <laughs> spooky. Anyway, so I think maybe we're, we're reaching a panic level in those markets that could generate a stability or counter-trend rally. Okay, mm-hmm. meaning a pause in the increase in rates. Okay. Uh, we're also seeing that sort of action in the dollar. The dollar, I think, is topping. Uh, in fact, its high price was a month ago. We tried to make a new high this month, couldn't do it, and got slam dunked last Friday. With We're now breaking through some levels that, uh, frankly, if you close the week, uh, we think you're, you're adding to the our indication of breakage. Uh, and we're not talking about a trading breakage, but a, a trading downturn that is the top of the mm-hmm. rally. Okay. Now, now we've got some numbers below that have yet to been to be hit and when we see those we'll really think it's over. Now, mm-hmm. those factors, a rally in the bonds and the downturn in the dollar could take the pressure off of the Fed mm-hmm. and possibly it could be an indication at least that the Fed is going to soften up a bit or mm-hmm. be less cute Tightening, okay. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of economists out there who've been pounding the table saying, hey, you're going too far, going too far, okay? Right. And even some Fed members, including the, the vice chair, uh, Brainerd, said uh, things to that effect. So I suspect that the market, the stock market, the gold market, a lot of markets that have been pressured by this Fed notion, uh, the pressure's coming off of them. And so that's why you're getting a rally in silver and gold, and you're also getting a rally in the stock market. Now, don't confuse the two. Okay, uh, we applauded the rally in the stock market. In fact, last weekend we said we're coming up to at least this level. So we've had a good mm-hmm. two, three percent rally since last week, and we thought it would happen. We're very pleased that the October didn't turn into a disaster. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, pardon me, I'm sick and tired of false notions of seasonals, particularly oh. in financial markets, where oh, October's a disaster, and then you can buy the world. Okay, you know, and then <laughs> December's great. Okay, it's you know, like the stock market is some kind of crop that comes out of the ground that has a seasonal tendency. No, it yeah. doesn't. Uh, it's a coin toss at best. Those those events, but anyway, so the October darkness didn't occur. And, you know, maybe it'll be a dark Christmas, I don't know, but which would be also counter-seasonal. I don't trust a stock market rally based upon these factors or the assumption that the Fed is going to now start to slow down. I think the Fed will start to slow down because I think 
the factors that have been in play, such as the collapsing bond market here, UK, and Japan, and the, the strong dollar, which was exacerbated the situation, was a problem for them. And by cooling off a little bit or hinting that they might cool off helps to cool off those situations. Mm-hmm. So those markets effectively put pressure on the Fed to probably be authorized to make statements like Brainerd made right. or, or mm-hmm. Yellen made about the illiquidity issue. So, But even if they do start to shift policy, and I think they will because I think you're also going to soon get, start to get data points. Mm-hmm. kind of data points they like to talk on employment and, and all the fact production numbers and all kinds of things, uh, things that they consider important, but are always lag data points to reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reality's already changed, just as those data points haven't caught up to it yet. Mm-hmm. But when we start to see that, that'll give the Fed some intellectual ammunition to say, oh, okay, well, you know, we can, we can now start to talk less about three-quarters of a percent raise. Well, maybe we'll go half or whatever. In other words, you start to see the other side. But I don't yep. think that will sustain the stock market. And mm-hmm. the reason I don't think it will sustain a stock market rally, it may help cause one, but the mm-hmm. uh, sustainable one I'm talking about, is – we have a stock market bubble that broke. We have the mm-hmm. biggest stock market bubble in U.S. history. Uh, you go back and look at the 1923 to 1929, look at the dot-com uh, so-called bubble, look at the real estate uh, bubble so-called from uh, 2003 up to 2007. None of them compared to the percentage gain that the S&P produced between 2009 and 2021, sevenfold. Mm-hmm. NASDAQ 116-fold. And we know the reason for it. It's largely finance, uh, monetary policy, QEs, uh, the yin-yang, uh, et cetera, et cetera. No wonder it went up. They created inflation, and it went into stock market, paper assets. But now those, those assets are broken. By our metrics, they're so broken that you want to have rallies. You can have all the rallies you want. You're not going to turn the beast around. It's broken. And... Therefore, the, the notion that you can buy stocks because of this possible change is a teaser. I don't think it's a teaser for gold and silver or for okay. the downturn in the dollar. I, I think it will sustain. Uh, but for those who are buying stocks right now thinking the same reason that gold people are buying gold is that the Fed might change, yeah, that's a good assumption. Mm-hmm. But don't assume that the trend is going to continue in the stock market upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why do you see it, why do you see it happening in the gold market and the, say maybe the precious metals market and not in the equities market? Because the because equities the markets equities, were so overpriced. Well, yeah, and it's going to have real world consequences. And in fact, a lot of people know that those real world consequences are out there. They're already there. They just don't show up in some of the data points. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, the CEOs of companies, heads of banks know, hey, this is there's a lot of bad stuff's going on out there. It's just not showing up in the Fed's data points yet. And once that reality dawns and once it's, it's realized that even though the Fed changes policy back to what they normally do, which is to say support assets that they have to support, especially U.S. government bonds, uh, and it doesn't work, then desperation takes over. Mm-hmm. And, of course, is once these data points turn, the Fed's going to have to go back to their other primary function, which is unemployment. And I suspect unemployment's going to change. Right. Um, that's, probably that's, sharply at some point. Yeah. Uh, even that last unemployment report, if you scrutinize it very carefully, 
the biggest explosion in the, in the numbers that was positive was hospitality and entertainment. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah right. Give me a break. You know, is that the core <clears throat> yeah. of the economy? Okay. <laughs> well, it, and sadly, uh, it's uh, much more of a core than it used to be in America when we produce things, yeah. <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, all right, so we could, I noticed that GDX, uh, one of your charts that you showed, I think it was last weekend, the daily chart looked sort of positive from uh, for GDX on the, the momentum chart. Looked fairly positive. Yeah, well, how momentum, are you seeing? Uh, yeah. the, the, the miners are looking good. I mean, if you actually put your, put yourself in a short position, let's say you went short back in July as this thing was starting to. Well, actually, it was breaking before then. But let's say you went short back in July. Your best break even. July, August, Sep, Ock, almost November. Okay, so it's been there's been a lot of wheels spinning down here. Uh, we're we're really not going down, folks. Yeah. You know, somebody's buying down here. Um, and I think they've got good justification for it. Forget the charts, even. I think you know, they're not going to zero, guys. You know, <laughs> the mining sector, and and you get GDX from the 40s down into the low 20s, uh, and you see the brakes get applied. There's a reason for it. Oh. Uh, and also, oh. when when you see gold break its prior price lows that everybody can see, namely around 1670, mm-hmm. and not fall apart. Instead, get back above them, weave back above and below. Right now, we're sixteen fifty. Uh, it's hardly falling apart. This is where gold was. We're twenty. We're, let me put it this way: we're a little more than a percent lower than we were in March of twenty twenty one. Uh huh. Uh huh. When it made yeah. low at sixteen seventy one. Okay. So somebody's buying down here, and I think there's good reason for it. And uh, we've got numbers above the gold market, not far above, that will indicate that okay, this is uh, I'm really turned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're seeing the evidence first in silver in the miners. We're seeing, especially out of silver, uh, the percent gain it's had over gold over the last couple of months has been important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it indicates yeah. to us, like uh, as you were talking to your prior guest about mm-hmm. silver outperforming gold, I think that's the case now. Right. And, of course, gold has done quite a lot better uh, in terms of other currencies that are down vis-a-vis the dollar. So, yeah, oh, yes. it's an, oh, an, yeah. And, you know, they've probably held their own in their own currencies against, you know, probably have not sure. lost much, if anything, in some. But it's the dollar, this quote-unquote strong dollar that's got everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, you know. Anyway, uh, Michael, well, yeah. with just a couple of minutes left here, uh, natural gas. Uh, one of the charts and one of the articles you wrote, you said something bizarre is going on in that market. That was October 23, and this morning I heard that actually natural gas in some part of Texas is down to zero or something like that. Part of the reason that I understand is that Europe is now don't have any place to store the gas that we're sending over there. And so, you know, the, the, the liquid nat- natural gas. So I don't know yeah. what, what's going well, on, but what are your thoughts? Uh, I think natural gas, it, it, we had numbers at 640 and 620. We didn't want to see 620 traded. And it did, and it did get topped to the front month contract. This is November, which expires uh, in several days. Uh, dropped down into the 490s quickly. You know, that's very cheap. It, remember, it had been $10 yeah. several months ago. So it got cut in half. Right now it's 560. It's up 8% today. I think it was largely a front month contract type event. And it is probably one of, like you pointed out, there's a temporary situation that is. Uh, help help drive it down. But when you go and look at uh, the natural gas companies mm-hmm. that are involved in the various phases of production and so forth, uh, they didn't even dip. They had a good solid up week last week while natural yeah. gas was collapsing. Something was amiss there, meaning 
were the investors in the natural gas sector, the, the producing companies, stupid? Or do they know that this is just a temporary event? I'm going with them. Yeah, I think that natural gas overdid itself, and I suspect the low we saw a week ago is about the low you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Could very well be. It's good have to rebuild it. It'll have to rebuild itself, but still, it, yeah. I don't think it's going to trend lower than that. All right, real quickly, uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I suspect there's one more downside leg, and one that's, that's like a, a total washout. Uh, you know, some people talk in ten thousand. I don't know about that, but we've tried to hold around eighteen thousand on Bitcoin, but it's gone dead asleep. If you look at the charts over the last couple yeah. of months, it's like what happened here? We have an extremely <laughs> volatile market now. One these you hardly draw the bars on it. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a low. I think there's one more down. Then after the next down, if you get down to fifteen thousand or whatever, I don't have exact number, but some further dramatic down. At that point, we're going to get a little more keen on, on looking for a bottom. Right mm-hmm. now, I think it's premature. Premature. Yeah. yeah I just, just mentioned also a lot of other markets that you follow that we don't talk about. I noticed one on cattle. It looked very, very bullish, really taking off. And oh, so, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pushing toward all-time highs. And yeah. while you're saving money on your gasoline per gallon, you're pumping in, uh, you're losing about the same amount per month paying for beef. Right. <laughs> well, there we go. We're in, a, in an inflationary uh, in an inflationary yeah. era, no doubt about it. All right, Michael, we'll have to leave yeah. it go at that. Thank you so much for spending time with us. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go to break now, but don't go away because Bob Moriarty will be with me, and he always has a lot of a lot of interesting things to say. You won't want to miss Bob Moriarty right after the break. Don't go away. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. And I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really happy to have Bob Moriarty with me. He is the proprietor of 321 Gold and is world-renowned for flying his single-engine aircraft under the Eiffel Tower. He's known for a lot of other things, but that's one of the more spectacular uh, uh, things that he's, <laughs> he's done. He is the author of many books, including one that's titled No One Knows Anything. Uh, but believing that Bob is the exception to that rule, I'm really happy to have him with me um, again as one person who does know something about investing. So thanks for joining me again, Bob. Well, it's a real pleasure, Jay. You know, <laughs> nobody knows anything except, uh, well, just, maybe just quickly, what, what's the thesis of that book? Nobody knows anything. Of course, some people know something. Well, uh, no, it's a very interesting book because the subtitle is Ignore the Experts, the Gurus, and uh, Other Fools. Now, you can look at the reaction to uh, the flu over the last two and a half years and realize all these people who are claiming to be experts were lying to us and, mm -hmm. and they were either being stupid uh, or they were deliberately lying. There are no experts. There's tons of people from the Fed saying what they're going to do. They're not going to do anything. They're going to crash the system. They're the guys who blew it up in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And, and with regard to the to the flu or COVID, as you call the the um, you know we were told at first that if we took uh, the the shots, uh, we would not be transmitting the disease. And then we find out even Pfizer admitted that they never tested to see, they never did the test to determine whether or not uh, people that got, had the vaccines would uh, would not transmit it to other people. So they, that's an example of the lies you're, you're saying they were telling us, convincing everybody that if you took this, you're going to do your patriotic duty and you're not going to be getting other people sick, which was, they had no evidence for that, but they they said it just as if it was absolute truth. And so I don't know how we can just not at least question our government when they tell us stuff. We got to be, I think people have to wake up because there's a lot of stuff that's going on that is just really, really awful. And it's, I think it's just satanic, quite frankly. But anyway, let's get on to the subject of today's um, show. I've said, uh, I've titled today's show, Are Rising Rates Setting a Debt Avalanche in, uh, in Motion? And that's the title of our show. Uh, during most bear markets in the last, at least on, since 1980, money has flowed out of the stocks into bonds and the U.S. Treasuries, which would then rise, and at least part of the losses in the stock market were offset by a rising bond market. And it was during a long bull market, you know, decades-long bull market in, in bonds. But this bear market is different. Last I looked, the uh, U.S. Treasuries, at least as measured by TLT, were down 37% this year. 37%. I mean, that's down more than most stock indexes. Uh, so after a 40-year secular bull market, interest rates are now rising dramatically, and bondholders are suffering a bloodbath. How much further do you think rates will rise, Bob? And do you think we're anywhere near the end? We had Michael Oliver on us who showed us a chart of TLT, and it's down to about where it was. It's, you know, the, the treasury, long-dated treasuries have fallen to about the level where they were in 2008, 2009. And Michael thinks we might have a period here where we're not going to, you know, where maybe they'll level off uh, the rates. What, what, what are your thoughts? Okay, uh, here's the deal. <clears throat> That's the wrong question, because the question infers that interest rates have something to do with what's going to happen. 
And that's mm-hmm. absolutely not true. Now, you hinted at something, and I want to make this clear to your listeners. Uh, we have the ability now where anyone with a computer and the internet access has access to more information than at any time in history. And instead of listening to the gurus and instead of listening to the experts and the other fools, do some research on your own. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, we we were talking about uh, credit suites and feds pumping money into credit suites. And, and I recalled something I read years ago. In 1931, in May of 1931, the Credit Ansel Bank in Austria collapsed. And when it collapsed, it caused a series of cascading defaults with one bank after another after another. Now, when banks talk about uh, they've got $5 billion in assets, do you do you actually understand what the assets are? Of no. Banks? Okay, and that's a, that's a real fair question. I'm glad you were honest about it. Mm-hmm. They've got two assets. One, they've got the loans that they've given out, and in a way, those are actually kind of dangerous because the loans are long-term but their obligations are short-term. So to protect themselves, banks invest in bonds. Mm-hmm. And guess whose bonds they invest in? Government. No, not just government, bonds oh, corporate of, of bonds. banks. So mm-hmm. when one bank goes, all the rest of them tend to go. Now, I've been saying for weeks, we are at an especially dangerous period. And bad things are going to happen in the banking system. The Federal Reserve is pumping money into credit suites in Mm -hmm. Switzerland. And everybody thinks it's because credit suites is going to go under. And I'm not sure that's true. What they don't understand is that because of Swiss law, the Federal Reserve cannot give the money to the other banks directly, but they can give the money to credit suites. Mm-hmm. And credit suites can give it. So basically, what what the Fed is doing is pumping money into the banking system worldwide. Now, I'm going to read something to you that was sent to me 23 minutes ago. I've got some neighbors here. They're wonderful people. They live in Bordeaux. They're having a new roof put on. I go over every day, and I take pictures of it. And we chat, we're just very good friends and, mm-hmm. and very close. We thought of you this morning while reading the news. ING Bank, which closed accounts in France, and money disappeared for many French customers. Huh. Which one will be next? And, and that's how current what I'm talking about. The banking system, it's going to crash because of the stupidity of the Fed. I don't give a hoot what they do. They raise interest, the banks are going to fail. They lower interest, the banks are going to fail. The only thing that is constant is the financial system. It's going to crash. That's why Putin went into Ukraine in the first place. He saw the debt-based system of, of the West it's collapsing 
and we need alternatives for the rest of the world. Uh, so do you see Putin's move into the Ukraine as a, um, as a financial move to a great extent? Absolutely. Protecting Russia uh, from the damage that's about to take place in the Western world. Absolutely. The Chinese and the Russians mm -hmm. have bought gold and silver for the same reason you and I do. Mm -hmm. it, it's a, a reserve. And when things go to, I, you told me not to say bad words, when things go to heck, uh, <laughs> they're, they're going to have something to fall back on. But I'm going to tell you, the Chinese and the Russians understand the debt-based system of the West is past its sell-by date. Yeah. I, I believe they do understand it better than our people at the Federal Reserve understand, uh, that our financial people understand. They've been indoctrinated with Keynesian economics. Uh, you know, that, So you have all these PhDs from highfalutin institutions uh, that are really uh, clueless about the dangers of, of our fiat system and the debt-based system. They, uh, they seem to think that they can you know, uh, put into effect swap arrangements or whatever I see that uh, I think it was, I don't know if this 11 billion swap line, if that was to the Swiss central, I think that was the Swiss bank, Swiss central bank, but uh, also sending money to Credit Suisse, as you point out. And of course, the pension funds, uh, well, I mean, we, you know, what, what, what's the old saying? When the tide goes out, you can see who's swimming naked. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you, the pension funds in England started to go down. And I mean, there must have been, I mean, that we might have been very close to something really getting out of out of uh, control there if they hadn't put money back in. So they sort of have this idea that they can always fix things, right? Well, they're not fixing anything, of course. They're just piling debt on top of debt, as I pointed out in my monologue. They're Basically, what they're doing is just kicking the can down the road. But at some point, Bob, do you think we're getting close to the end of the road? I think that one day very soon, on a Friday... They will close the banks, and they will not open on Monday. Now, if you go back to 1932, when Roosevelt was elected, uh, that's exactly what happened. There was a series of cascading defaults. Every bank in the United States, except for one, closed their doors on Friday and didn't open on Monday. There was a bank in Nevada. Now, the whatever the Federal Reserve was back then, Treasury or whatever, sent a notice out and said, okay, everybody, when you close at the end of the day on Friday, you don't reopen on Monday until we tell you to. Mm -hmm. And one bank in, in Nevada uh, said, ah, tell you what we'll do, we just won't close, okay? So they stayed up. All day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and Monday, they were able to give money to their depositors. We have more debt in the world that can possibly be paid. The system is going to crash. The banking system is going to go, and it's going to take trillions of dollars with it. And we're going to have bail-ins just like they did in Cyprus. We're going to have bail-ins. Uh, and so what that means is they'll take money out of the accounts um, of, of depositors, right? Well, that's that's what this French bank did that just closed today. Okay, so ING is an institution that I worked for in New York City. I worked in the, uh, you know, I worked in a department in as a lending officer in New York City. Um, ING, bearings, ING, bearings, that's the Dutch bank. They've, they closed 
they closed their offices and they closed their banks in France, you say? Correct. I wonder if they've closed them anywhere else. Well, uh, here's what's going to happen, Jay. I'm going to tell you behind the scenes, everybody in the Fed, and there's 30,000 people who work there, and everybody in the Treasury is in a panic trying to figure out how they do it. Now, the timing is really interesting because the Hunter Biden laptop demonstrates that as Vice President Joe Biden was getting his 10% because he's the big guy from Russia, from China, and Ukraine. Okay, so if there is an election in two weeks and the Republicans take over, guess what's going to happen to Joe Biden? Impeached. No. Impeached, convicted, and jailed. Okay, that's that's not some minor offense. If you go back and look at the two impeachment trials for for uh, the last president Trump, Trump, okay, they were a joke. Okay, yeah, compared to this, they were playing with him, and they knew they couldn't possibly succeed because the Republicans had control of the Senate, so it was just a game. But if the Republicans control the House and the Republicans control the Senate, I mean, here, here's what's bizarre. The, the DOJ and the FBI and the CIA have effectively come out and said, we're the new Praetorian Guard, right. and we're going to decide who the president of the United States should be. Now, I'm right. sorry, okay, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're Democrat, when the Praetorian Guard starts picking the president of the United States, you got a problem. Yeah, well, we have a problem, and I and I just can't hardly believe Bob that they would let let that happen. That they would uh, that that the people in power, be they Republican, and they're both. They're both the people you're talking about are from both parties. There's no doubt about it. The Never Trumpers were certainly part of that Praetorian Guard that you're talking about. And some of them were anyway. And so they, so it's it's the institution. It's basically that runs our country. Well, Eisenhower warned about, I think, is that, you know massive amounts of money that could be created out of nothing when we went off the gold standard allowed government to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and to buy basically to buy influence. That's my take. Oh, let me let me go you one better. Okay, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier. How familiar are you with the? deal between Ursula von der Leyen, who's the head of the EU, and the head of Pfizer. Are, are you familiar with the terms? Yeah, I think, I, think I don't know the terms, but I think uh, something rotten there in, uh, in, in Denmark. I well, remember the no, details. No, no, she's German. But uh, you're going to like this, Jay. It was a 71 billion euro deal. Mm-hmm. And she negotiated on her cell phone with the head of Pfizer to buy 10 booster shots for every man, woman, and child in the EU. Wow. That's big so bucks. Somebody, yeah. Somebody came out and said, uh, you know, what are the terms of the deal? We'd, we'd kind of like to be aware. We'd like to have some transparency. Now, yeah. I. I was looking at that just wondering, and if the big guy got 10%, mm-hmm. what does the big girl get? 
I mean, is, is she in line for 10% of 71 billion euros? Do you realize what that means, Jay? Well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for us to get our head, head around that kind of corruption. Uh, but well, if, no, no, if hang on, don't get carried away. If she made 7.1 billion euros, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> oh yeah sure you will bob okay well she'll probably just get rid of you in a hurry if she wants to <laughs> well, she anyway. can afford to <laughs> all right well I, I i would like to think that none of this kind of stuff goes on but uh i think if that's wishful thinking we we've seen we know that the hunter biden laptop thing is real i mean that's real and they hid that the Praetorian Guard hid that from our from the view of most voters, so that they could make sure that Donald Trump was not reelected. We know that's a fact now. That's not that's not for discussion. Um, it was just two minutes left. There's so much more I wanted to ask you about Bob, but you know what? David Stockman is on this show um, about the time that Biden was talking about putting in sanctions against Putin, and Stockman said, "This is crazy as hell." Is the word he used, and I there I said a bad word. This is crazy as hell. Uh, this is going to hurt us a lot worse than it's hurt uh, than it's hurt um, than it ever hurts Putin and the Russians. Um, he was right, I think. Right? You'd agree with that? That David was right. Well, I was ahead of David on March first. I said that sanctions are suicide for the EU and for NATO and the U.S. And believe me, if you think the drop in the, in, in the British pound and the Japanese yen and, and the euro was, was big, wait until you see what's coming up shortly. Oh. Well, I hate to think about it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, not going to be, it's not going to be good. But I just you know, why in the world, in 30 seconds, do we engage in these policies that are so self-destructive to the American people? Because the military-industrial complex is running the country, and frankly, they don't give a hoot about the rest. <laughs> a hoot. And I've been really good. I want you to compliment me on that. Well, that's right. You didn't use any bad words. I, I beat you on that one. I used the H word. So anyway, with 30 seconds left, Bob, I have to thank you so much. Uh, what, so many more things. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking more in the future, I hope. So thank you so much for spending time with us again. It's always great to have you. It's um, always a pleasure, Jay. Thank you. You bet. We'll do it again sometime soon. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week, uh, folks. Next week, Bob Hoy is going to join me. Bob has always maintained that gold uh, can do extremely well, actually uh, does better when equity markets are in, uh, are headed lower. And, um, well, and during uh, times when costs go down, of course, if you can uh, have lower costs to get the gold out of the ground, so much the better for profit margins. And so Bob will be with me and Patrick Highsmith of Timberline Resources as well. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 